Joe. Good morning. As he said, my name is DJ. I'm on staff here at Genesis. I'm excited to be with you this morning. Uh, some of you may know I haven't been around too much this summer, but I'm glad to be here this week and get to hang out with you, uh, especially while Ryan is on vacation. And I just have to say, uh, every time he's gone, we realize how much he does around here. And so if you see Pastor Ryan next week, would you just say that you're grateful for him? Oh, I don't know if he's here next week either. He's not here next week. So maybe in a couple of weeks, uh, just remind him how grateful you are for him and that we made a mess of it. And so we'll be glad to have him back uh, when he's here. Hopefully you didn't notice anything this morning, which means we hit it very well. So that's what we do. That's good. Uh, but I am glad to be here. Um, it's kind of funny when I'm preparing for these uh, messages. It's like my brain is focused a little bit differently on life. And so there's been two things that have happened. A couple of months ago, Ryan asked me if I would speak on this Sunday. And I kind of sort of fit in my schedule. So we made it work. And it was, uh, it was good. But, but we talked about me uh, talking about legacy, which is a big word. And uh, when we think about it, it's kind of a heavy word sometimes. But so as I've been thinking about that, there's these two very specific events that have happened in the last month that have affected what I'm about to talk to you about today. So the first is I was talking to a friend of mine and he was like, man, you know, like there's this guy at work and he's super young and he's super excited and he's just like all fired up, but he thinks he's like the guy and he should be in charge of everything. And we started talking about how when you're, when you're young, this often happens, right? You kind of have this excitement for life. You're, you're new in something, you're ready to go and you think, you know, man, if they would just listen to me, I have all these great ideas. I'm ready to go. I have this energy. Like I should be in charge, right? Anybody have ever happened to anybody else? You guys are kind of quiet out there. Is that because you're like, oh yeah, no, that was me. For sure that was me. When you look back on it, you're like that first real job you had when you're like very, very excited and you're just raring to go and you think, man, I should have the keys to the office. I should be the one running this ship. And then you realize as you get a little older and you look back on it, you're like, man, I knew nothing. <laughs> I thought I knew everything and I really knew a lot, but nothing at the same time. It happens to all of us. We have this excitement for life. We have these things that we want to do. We have the people that we think we are and the people that we think we want to be. The second thing that happened uh, in the last month uh, I have a, a grandfather who's uh, in his 90s, he was 91, and, uh, and he recently had a fall and, uh, and went into the hospital and they did surgery and it just, just was the end. And so uh, he, uh, crap, he passed this morning. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's the great thing about Papa Kemp, he loved Jesus. And so while we're sad today, while I'm sad today, uh, I also know that he's, he's where he belongs, right? Yes. God is with him. But he leaves behind a little bit of a complicated legacy too. I loved who he was. He had a, a big influence on my life. He's a guy who cared very much about his family, but not always in ways that we appreciated, 
um, and not always in ways that we could readily see. He's a guy who loved learning. He had, uh, he had several degrees and uh, was, was a teacher for a long time. Uh, went to seminary. He's, he's this guy who, who just tried to soak up knowledge. He loved lighthouses and boats and trains. And if you live in western Michigan, that's a great place to love all three of those things because they're all <laughs> nearby. And uh, he used to tell us about the boats that would come into the harbor from Lake Michigan and what their cargo was and you know where they were going and what they were doing. And this is all before the internet. And I have no idea how he found out this information, but <laughs> he would figure it out somehow. He just knew. And, uh, and so I learned a lot from him. I learned that you could be older, that you could be well beyond the age where people normally went to college and still have this thirst for knowledge and for life. And as he, he got older, he, he transitioned from teaching into a, a factory job, which was wild to me. I was like, you, you are so smart, and, and this is what you choose to do. But he enjoyed it. He loved it. And then after he retired from there, he got a job driving a bus, like a city bus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and so he would drive this bus, but the, the bus wasn't the, the key for him. The, the key was meeting the people who rode the bus, which, you know, I mean, this was in the late 80s and early 90s, so this is not recently, but, but the people who rode the bus haven't changed all that much, right? So it's characters, it's wild, it's crazy. I went to community college on his bus route, and uh, I met several people who were like, oh yeah, I know your grandpa. Uh, he tells us all the time about you, and you know, I've heard all kinds of stories about you. I'm like, who is this guy, right? Like, what is happening? But there's also a period in my life where, where my grandpa wanted nothing to do with my family or I. And we lived a mile apart, you know? And the pain of that uh, has created this hangover that has existed uh, since that happened 25 years ago. It just never fully healed. And for whatever reason, there was just never really reconciliation there. And so now there is this mental health and, and, uh, and pain and spiritual loss that happens because now he's gone. And we don't get to have that finish. We don't get to say it's better. The wound has been healed. And so now we're left with sadness, even though uh, we also know that, that he's whole and healed. And, and I look forward to someday uh, getting to know the grandpa who's with Jesus, because I think that changes everything about that conversation. And so I have hope for the future because of that, even in the midst of pain. Uh, if you haven't yet already, you can check out version. I'm going to run us through a whole bunch of, uh, of Old Testament stuff here at the very beginning, and so I want you to be able to pull that up. So if you just look on version, the app, you can check out uh, under events, uh, there will be a spot to, to see Genesis, and you'll see all of our verses this morning, some of the bigger points that I'm going to talk about uh, as well, and, uh, and we'll go through that. They'll also be up on the screen here. So I want to I wanna show you from Judges first, which sounds fun, Judges, that's a good book, right? We'll just go right to the judgment this morning. And uh, <laughs> this is very, very early in the book, and, uh, and it's God setting up the story of what's happening to Israel. And so it goes like this. It says, after that generation died, 
another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. This is a legacy. The legacy that's left from one generation to the next is forgetfulness, is not remembering who God was and what God had done. God had just gotten done saving this group of people, providing food for them, and then the next generation grew up not knowing anything about it. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? It happens to us all of the time, right? God saves us, and somehow, some way, it doesn't translate to the next generation. But God is very clear to the people of Israel, very clear about what he expects from them. So in Deuteronomy 32, it says this, Remember the days of long ago. Think about the generations past. Ask your father, and he will inform you. Inquire of your elders, and they will tell you. In Exodus 13, it says, And in the future your children will ask you, What does all this mean? Then you will tell them, With the power of his mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, the place of our slavery. In Joshua 4, it says, Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Psalm 71, now that I'm old and gray, I was just telling the people this morning I had to trim my beard up because it was very, very gray. I'm a little <laughs> distressed by this. It's not okay. Now that I am old and gray, do not abandon me. Oh God, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. In Psalm 145, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. These aren't the only places where it talks about faith and trust in who God is being passed from one generation to the next. But you see, you see the pattern, you see the story. God is working out this incredible story in our lives, in the lives of the Israelites, in the lives of all the people who have been followers of Jesus since he lived here on earth. And that story has incredible value. That story needs to be told. They've got to be remembered and talked about. So often, our stories die with us. Is that our legacy? And the stories died with many Israelites. It happened over and over again. Often after these, or just before these descriptions, there was a remembrance that, hey, we, we might have gotten this wrong in the past. We might not have done the right thing. Just like in Judges, when an entire generation had forgotten God and did whatever they felt like. It kind of becomes this chorus of what Jewish life is like. It's a cycle. People get close to God. They get comfortable. Things get easy. They forget that God has provided all of this stuff. And so they go back. They forget about God. They think they got it on their own. They think they're good enough. They think they're strong enough on their own power. And so God kind of fades into the background. And then the hard times come. Suffering, hardship. It's torture. And maybe somebody remembers, or maybe somebody stumbles across this message from God. Maybe they're reminded from a prophet or from a judge. And they remember 
that God promised to be near no matter what happens, that God is working. God is actively trying to get their attention. And so they reach out and they apologize. They ask for forgiveness. They say, man, can we start over? Can we create this bond again? Can we forge this relationship? And the cycle starts all over again. Maybe they remember for a while and then maybe they don't. I think a lot of us kind of look around and say, life's a little messy right now. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. It's a little complicated. It's hard to know where we are. Are we in this cycle? Is this happening here? What is, what is going on with us? I think that for a lot of us as Christians, we begin to look around like those who don't follow Jesus. And we begin to ask the question of, is this hopeless? Is this just inevitable? Is this just the way it's going to be? I'm wondering if we've lost a bit of our imagination. There's a, there's a Christian author, a theologian, this really smart guy who wrote a book 40 years ago called The Prophetic Imagination. And he talks about how we've lost our view of God's hope for the future. And in doing that, we've lost the ability to address the culture that's around us. We've lost the ability to have a conversation and to think creatively about who we're talking to and what it is that we're talking about. See, we get so wrapped up in our problems and our difficulties and in the ways the world isn't going the way we thought it should, that we forget to raise our eyes up to see that God continues to work. God's kingdom has not changed. God's kingdom will not change. Do you see that? We live right now in a state of grief, I think. And I think we're trying to get away from it, and I'm not sure we're really doing it in the way that God's calling us to. I wonder if our grief is not driving us to this word called lament. Anybody know lament? There's this idea that when you have grief, when you have this thing happening inside of you that doesn't feel good, and you don't know what to do with it, we want to escape it. We want to get away from it. We want to push it away. We want to push it down. We want to keep it away from us. And instead, God's way of dealing with our grief is to enter into it. This morning, we were singing that song, uh, How He Loves Me. And, uh, and I loved that Justin changed the words at the end because I want you to see and to feel and to understand that yes, God loves us, but God also loves me, yes. right? And, and I was standing there in the back trying to be ready for this morning, trying desperately to, to figure out how I'm going to get through this moment, and I'm just crying with the realization that God loves me 
in the middle of all of this. Today, I am disheartened by the world. Can we just acknowledge that? We have lost our focus on God's future for us in many, many ways. But the story doesn't end here because we do have hope for a future. We have hope for an incredible, amazing future. But we have got to stop focusing on everything that's wrong and start focusing on God who's got everything that's right. So, what is, for us, prophetic imagination? I think we can define it very clearly for our situation, for our legacy, for all the days that come after today, after the ends of our lives. It's about addressing the hurt, the death, the struggle that's present in every day by not skipping out on it, by being brave and courageous enough to say, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, but I know God's going to get me through this. God has done so much for us, whether it's the ancient Israelites, whether it's our past, whether it's our parents' past, whether it's the promises that we see for our future. God is at work that has not changed we need to fight against hopelessness, against anguish, against the death of our world. Sin, our difficulty, our hardship, it doesn't have the final word for us. The problem is that in our hopelessness, in, in continuing to embrace hopelessness, we're not providing the next generation with anything lasting and worthwhile. How will anyone capture anything about who God is if God's people have given up? This is for all of us. It's, it's a message for each of us, there are so many ways that now that I've been looking at this for weeks, I'm like, ha, ah, there's some ways that I have given up on seeing God's hope for me and for kids, for adults. <laughs> you guys have heard me talk about how I find it easier to work with teenagers. Some of y'all are difficult. <laughs> Not me. I am never difficult, right? My wife is not here, so I can say that, but she is yelling at the TV right now. <laughs> oh, Chris, I love you so much. Listen, man, our culture is trying to sell us a lie that the next generation is hopeless, that they're doomed, that they're worthless, that they've got nothing going on. It is a lie. I know what they're telling you. No one wants to work. Kids are too sensitive today. Someone should teach these people some manners. <laughs> what the heck is with these people and their avocado toast? <laughs> Which, I want to tell you something. Honestly, this is not my notes, but I'm just going to throw this out there. 
Uh, I think God knew what he was doing with avocado toast, because did you know that avocados are good for your mood? They actually affect your brain chemistry and help you see life in a better light. So maybe these kids got something uh, right here, you know? Throw some avocado toast on the Barbie. Listen, everything that these people are telling you, everything that, that they want you to believe about the next generation are lies to distract you from the hope that God is trying to inject into our lives every single day. This is not what God wants from us. So here's what we do at Genesis. We encourage and believe in the next generation because of the hope of God. We are not going to abandon them to a hopeless future because we can't get it together. God is not satisfied with letting them flounder into a future that makes no sense at all. Thank you. Listen to Psalm 71. Listen, soak this in. Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God. Do you hear that? This morning, it does not matter what generation you live in. Each generation needs to set its hope on God. It's the only hope we have. God is making it abundantly clear, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commandments. Then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Listen, this is, this is like next level Christianity, okay? I understand that. Some of you this morning are like, I'm new. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Yes, right. That, that is possible. But for those of us who have been around the church for a long time, we know this. Somewhere in your heart, you're thinking, I've heard this before. And maybe you're like, I've heard this before. I've never seen it done differently, whatever. Or maybe you're like, I've heard this before and I've kind of seen it and, and I know this is true. I don't know where you fall on this, but I know after 20 plus years of working in youth ministry, of being around churches, this is true. God is not abandoning us to hopelessness and to lost generations. It is possible to make an impact. What I need you to understand is that the national news is not going to help you figure this out in our community, okay? It might be time to, instead of watching more stuff on TV that tells you how awful things are and how terrible kids are going to be in the future, maybe you need to turn it off 
and open up the Bible and say, God, tell me what I need to know. Give me, give me a different perspective because this is not working, right? This is not working for any of us. It's been going on for a long time. How many of you are, uh, are, are boomers in here? We can, we can admit it. It's okay. That's all right. What did people say about you guys before uh, you became the, the dominant generation? Do you guys remember? Anybody? No? Going to hell. Yeah, going to hell. That's, that's pretty much every generation, right? We can all, we can all absorb that one. Hey, you guys were lazy. You guys were born out of, uh, out of the Great Depression and post-World Wars, and, and your parents thought you were going to be useless because they had done all these great heroic things, and you guys were living it easy, and they were like, you got no idea. And then what did you say about those of us who are in Gen X? Who's a Gen Xer in here? Yeah, yeah. I still slide in. I was born in 79. I fit. I fit. Uh, what did they say about us? Anybody? There was a particular word that, that y'all boomers used. Slackers. You guys remember that? I think it was on the cover of Time at one point. Slackers. It's terrible. Millennials. Any millennials in here? Yeah. I'm sort of a zenial, so I guess, you know, I'm supposed to identify with you. I don't know. I definitely said you guys were going to be the bane of the world at some point. Look, we do this. Every generation does this to each other. I, and then we all get mad about it. Really? We're doing it to each other, and we get mad at the ones who are doing it beforehand. Come on, right? Come on. It's ridiculous. Is this the legacy that we want to leave? And I am not talking about changing the world right now. I'm talking about in this place in this community, in our neighborhoods right here. We don't need to worry about everything else. You know, there are hundreds of thousands of other churches in the U.S., and this promise, this command, is the same for all of them. Stop worrying about what everybody else is doing. Worry about what's happening in your place, in your time, right here, right now, right? Man, you guys got me preaching today. Come on. All right, so what do we do? What do we do to live all the days after? All right, I want to get to the hope this morning. I don't want to leave this out. Number one, we need to pray and we need to grieve. We need to realize that we have participated in this way of doing life that has led us right to this moment where we're like, is there really any hope? And you know what? It's okay because Jesus says it's okay. Because it is never too late to acknowledge a mistake and to ask for forgiveness and to say, I want to do it different, God. I see this. I see what you're doing. I get this now. I want to be a part of the new thing. I don't want to be this guy anymore. I, I don't want to continue moving down this trajectory of saying, it's all lost. Forget about it. Paul writes in Romans 10, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Yeah. Amen. Listen, this is a mantra for us. 
How can the world be any different if we never let them know that there's a possibility that there's something different out there? If people don't have hope, that's on you and me because we have not shown them that there is hope. We have not lived our lives in a way that has said, there is so much hope. There is hope. Nothing new is going to come from us until we find that wound and clean it up. We can't leave an infected spot in our life and expect that we can move past it and just move around it, and it's not going to affect us. Justin told us this this story from 1 Corinthians this morning about, uh, and I'd never heard this perspective before that I can remember, and it has absolutely changed my life this morning. Just this morning, he said, you know, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about how each each member of the body does something to the healing of the whole body, right? And we think about that in terms of, of us as people and like interacting with each other. But he had this point where he said, you know, if I have a gash on my hand, it doesn't affect my eyesight necessarily. But each part of my body is working in that moment. All of the things that are going to heal that hand are moving throughout your body. The blood, the white blood cells, all of this stuff, the things that are going to change that are moving throughout your body. Can you picture that for a moment? Your eyes are carrying something that's going to heal your hand when it has a gash on it. You and I are carrying something that's going to heal the hopelessness in this place just by interacting with each other. Do you, do you, are you catching that? You are carrying something that each of us needs. We can't allow it to remain the status quo. We've got to address the ways that we've screwed up. We have to be willing to take responsibility for the way the world is. Whether you've actively participated or not, you can be a part of saying, man, collectively, individually, I'm sorry. We missed the mark. We missed the boat. There's this great song uh, from a band called Blindside uh, that goes like this. All of us are searching for an open arm, like a hug. But it's a shame how I curl up in the dark. I've felt a loss for some time. I slipped, stumbled, but fell face first in your hand. We slipped and stumbled, but we never left God's hand. Then I hit my head on your palm, waking up to the smell of tears drying up in the sand. All of us are searching for an open arm. It's okay. It's okay to slip and fall because God has still got us. It's okay to have been wrong because God is holding on to you and he is offering you the chance to start new today. Give up the hopelessness. See that God loves you and loves the people around you so much that he's going to continue holding you even as you slip and stumble. Number two, how do we connect with the next generation? We got to grow in wisdom. You and I, we don't know everything about God yet. I don't care if you're 9 or 90, 15 or 50, you don't know everything you need to know about life and Jesus yet. Okay? Just like 
Just like arrogant young me who thought he could run the warehouse, and just like all the old guys who had worked there for 30 years and were like, listen, you ain't seen nothing yet, punk. <laughs> we're going we're to paint your shopping cart pink and hang it from the rafters, okay? And take you down a notch. None of us know everything we need to know. We all need each other. We all, we need, we need the perspective of wisdom and we need some energy. Yeah? Amen. There are always deeper levels of understanding who God is and how God is working in our lives that are necessary. Um, It's partially a lack of wisdom that has left us in this mess, right? If we don't know, we don't know. But whose fault is it if we don't know? It's not God's fault. It's ours. We got to take responsibility for that. We have to take responsibility for saying, I haven't chased you as hard as you've chased me, God. There is nothing that can be taught. There's nothing that be given to the next generation that can't already at least be somewhat mastered in our lives. We've got to know something of what we're going to talk about to the next generation, right? The only way we can do that is if we learn. You ask any teacher, any trainer, any pastor, anybody who's trying to communicate something to somebody else, if you don't know, you can't give it away. I can't stand up here and tell you how to take apart a Boeing 787 because I have absolutely no idea how that works, right? I'm a mechanic. I still don't know how airplanes work. You need to learn what it is that needs to be taught. In Daniel, it says this, those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. This particular nugget of wisdom comes in the middle of brutal, heinous circumstances. War, being conquered, being dragged away from home and taken to a foreign place, having your entire culture stripped from you. What shines brightly in that moment? The knowledge of who God is and what God is doing in their lives. What shines so brightly in that moment? It's the knowledge of hope. Because that's not the end of the story. Daniel wasn't the end of the story for them, and hopelessness is not the end of the story for us. We got to know that true hope isn't flippant, it isn't easy, it isn't cheap, it doesn't come without cost. The guys in Daniel who were so affected by who God was in their lives, they endured crazy stuff. The stories that we read and we're like, that can't possibly be true. It seems to have happened. God says this is the way faith was passed on. That built confidence in them. It built confidence in the people who came after because they heard those stories and they're like, that's unbelievable. And yet you continued to believe and trust in who God was. The third is this. Study the Bible together. If you aren't in a relationship or in a situation where you are passing on the knowledge of your faith to someone in another generation, I'm telling you, that's what God expects of us. Okay, again, we're into 
we're into 201 level Christianity here, but this is the next step. This is the only next step. This is what God expects. When we come and we say, hey, look, I'm a follower of you, Jesus. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do this. Jesus is like, okay, but here's what I want you to do. Go out into the nations and spread the gospel and baptize people. Like, that's the only instruction. That's it. There's nothing else. Passing on our faith to the next generation is the only thing Jesus requires of us. That's it. It's both not complex and the only thing we don't want to do, right? How hard is it to talk about Jesus? Hey, don't run away from me. I'm going to tell you about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Look, it's tough. I get it. I get it. And listen, you can't just tell, um, I'll tell you about teenagers. You can't just tell teenagers, hey, go study your Bible, right? <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I'm going to sit down and read my Bible. Like, I remember being a teenager and being at the end of a long week. Like, I'm not going to go crack open my Bible and do some more uh, extracurricular study just for the fun of it. Like, I'm done. I'm done for the week, right? I did my mandatory things. I'm finished. And let's be honest, as adults, we're not much better. I can't just tell you, go read your Bible, and you're like, yes, I'm doing it. Three chapters a day, baby. Not so much. But here's the thing. If we're going to pass on our faith, we got to show the next generation how to study who God is. We got we to gotta give them experience of seeing what God has done and who God is and how God is going to work in our lives. Um, this is one of those basic building blocks that we've kind of pushed off to the side. And listen, I, I'm bad at this in my own family. I struggle with this with my own kids. I'm good at it with your kids because that's my job and I have to do it, right? And I've developed this habit but in, even in my own home, it's hard to find the time to do this. It's tough. But that doesn't give us any excuse to shirk the responsibility and say, I'm just not going to do it. The Bible's tough. Read the hard things. Talk about them with your kids, with other people's kids, with whoever that you're going to be in contact with. Read the funny stuff. I had this group of kids one time who were so in love with the story of Jehu in 2 Kings that they decided to make a movie about it. And so we did it, and we did some crazy stuff. We threw this dress off the roof of the church and sprayed ketchup all over the wall. And read the story in 2 Kings 9. Uh, it's pretty hilarious and, uh, and also a little, bit, um, yeah, a little bit difficult. But read that stuff. Let your, let your kids... let. Let your friends see the entirety of who God is throughout the Bible. God's not just some guy sitting around wondering if you're going to get it. God's funny. God's challenging. God's bringing you to a place where you can find that hope too. In 2 Timothy 2, it says this, You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. None of us are going to catch the message of God fully in an hour or two every week. We've got to be involved in God's life in our lives outside of Sunday morning and Wednesday night. A real legacy of faith for us doesn't just happen by accident. We've got to invest 
in this life with God. We've got to get real with God life, not just kind of play around. It's got to be the real thing. It's got to have real priority in our lives. Otherwise, we're just going to keep doing the same thing, talking about hopelessness, wondering when somebody's going to get it together, wondering if this is the end of the road. And I know some of you are asking, like, okay, but I don't particularly like teenagers and children. I get it. That's real. I've said I don't particularly like some of you. So we all have our faults, okay? All right? It happens. But there are ways for you to be pouring into a generation that's not your own. There are ways for you to be finding those single parents in your neighborhood who need extra encouragement. There are ways for you to be talking to parents of teenagers when you're beyond that. You're like, man, I've been through it. It's a struggle. And you know as much as anybody else that sometimes what those parents need is just a place to dump and go, what happened to my kid? Like, I don't understand. They're insane. And you're like, yep. And then they'll turn 25 and they'll figure it out. We're just going to get through the next 10 years the best we can with some hope that God is at work in their lives. You can do so much. You can do so much. We need you at BBS. We need you at AMP. But we also need you in the lives of adults who need to know that God is with them. So what do we do here? Genesis, we say that we are changed lives, changing lives. That means that we encourage and believe in the next generation because of the hope of God. Yes. You may not be Tom Brady or Michael Jordan or Amelia Earhart or anybody else who's got a legacy, but your legacy continues in the hope and the story of God and his kingdom and what he is doing here on earth. We want Genesis to be a place that says there is hope for every generation. There is hope for every person who walks through the door and for every person who is in contact with one of us. You are a bringer of hope to your world. It's time for you and I to start living like that is the reality. God, thank you this morning for the reminder that there is hope in the midst of all of it. That there is hard stuff and there is beauty and it is all wrapped up in one thing. God, this morning I pray that you would change our lives so that we can be change agents to others. That we would have the hope of a future for us so that we can provide hope for somebody else. God, we know that this is what's happening. It's, we know that that's what you are doing. I pray that you would bring our attention to it and that you would do the work 